is our prayers too. Um, so often I think we, when we think of prayer, we think mainly of, well, let's ask God for what we have need of. And uh, kind of started this morning with the thought, well, when all else fails, pray. Um, and, and that may be our thought about prayer, but prayer is so much more than just uh, asking God for needs. Prayer is, is, is communicating with God in a certain way. And so tonight I want us to uh, see some ways, uh, some ways of, of prayer, some types of prayer that we see in Scripture that we ought to model in our prayer lives as well. And so from Psalm 8, Psalm 8 is a prayer, and um, so let me read it to us tonight. And this is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the air, bird, uh, beasts of the field, birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, when we begin prayer and we think, uh, um, and, instead of just saying, Lord, help me in this situation, or Lord, uh, help Andrew, or Lord, help Sammy, or, or whatever, um, I, I think that we, we, when we begin to think of all aspects of prayer, we can see that it would, uh, it, we can certainly take uh, much more time. For I, you're close. <laughs> Because I can't hardly see it. I know. <laughs> so you just have to listen to it, okay? okay. And, and I think that um, our, our order of worship is kind of set up this way with, uh, along the lines of different uh, types of prayer. And we begin with adoration. Now, I think that's very important. And we begin our prayer with that. Uh, we begin prayer with adoration. We begin our worship with adoration. We need to recognize who it is we're coming to worship and worship. And so when we adore God, when we do adoration, it's like we're, we're, we're acknowledging back to him who he is. And the psalmist uh, here in Psalm chapter 8 uh, does this. He's, he's acknowledging who he's praying to. Uh, whenever you have a guest speaker or something and you stand up and, and uh, you're, you're introducing the speaker, you want to say why it is that this person has anything to say to you. So you can say, you know, he was a professor at such and such. He, he preached here for so long. So you're, you're, you're telling who he is. and you're Well, when we approach God, we need to recognize who he is as we come to him. And in our worship service, in our prayers, we need to begin by recognizing just who it is that we're praying to. This is a... Uh, one of the reasons that theology and studying theology is so important um, because we need to be praying and acknowledging God for who he really is. Um, and scripture tells us about the attributes of God. And so when we're, we pray a prayer of adoration, we're recognizing attributes of God. You see it here in Psalm 8. He begins by talking uh, 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 to God about how, how majestic is your name. You're worthy 
of praise because your, your, your name is so majestic in all the earth. Your, your glory has been set above the heavens and you have ordained praise. Uh, and then he begins to talk about the creation. When he, when he looks out at the creation and he thinks about especially the creation of man, he's amazed that God has, has made him, um, uh, crowned man with, with uh, glory and honor. You have done this, Lord. You're the one who's done this. And your name is to be praised in all the earth because of this. So I believe Psalm 8, we can certainly see as a, as a psalm of, or a, a prayer of adoration. I think we see it also in Psalm 139. There are so many others, but I just want to point out a couple tonight. Uh, the 139th Psalm, a uh, very familiar psalm. You should remember it uh, as well. Uh, it begins this way. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Um, you hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. All right, the psalmist beginning here, and he's, he's, he's addressing the Lord and recognizing who he is. And the first thing he's doing here is recognizing that he is all-knowing. Even before a word is on my lips, you know it completely, Lord. You know all things, Right? And then he, he goes on from uh, uh, addressing the Lord as the one who knows all things to uh, um, verse 7. And he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. What's he, what's he recognizing about God here in his prayer? Everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's no place I can flee, no place I can go, but that you're there. And that is a delight to him. And he's recognizing God as the one who is omnipresent. So first of all, you're all-knowing, and now you're present everywhere. Um, verse uh, 13, he goes on, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before they came to be. Um, not only is God creator, uh, he's sovereign over his creation. <laughs> and the psalmist is recognizing this as well. And so in his prayer here, he's, he's uh, acknowledging God to be who God is as he's revealed himself to us, right? And when we're praying, it is such an appropriate thing to uh, come to God and to begin our prayers acknowledging who God has revealed himself to uh, be in his word. He is the God who is... Uh, All-knowing. He's the God who's the present everywhere. He's the creator, sustainer of all the universe. He's the God who is love. But he's also the God who is uh, righteous and, and holy. And all of these things that we find out about God is he's revealed about himself in his word to us. 
uh, it is so appropriate to, when we're addressing him and beginning our prayers to adore him for who he's revealed himself to be to us in his word. And these are just, I think, Psalm 8 and Psalm 139 are just a couple of examples where the psalmist is praying and he's adoring God for who he is and beginning his prayer with uh, adoration. Um, <clears throat> we go on. Um, especially in our worship on Sunday mornings, you know, as soon as we uh, have a, a prayer of adoration, we uh, invoke God's presence, asking him to come into our midst and be our worship leader. And um, then we sing a, sing a psalm of praise and adoration uh, for who he is. And hopefully the, psalm of, uh, the hymn of praise fits our theme for the day. Um, and, and then we go, um, I think, immediately into a time of confession, which we kind of get from Isaiah chapter 6. Again, uh, important passage. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord uh, seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his throne robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Well, here's, here's the adoration, right? Adoration, beginning to see God for who he is. And so here is Isaiah, he's seeing this scene, and he's seeing the holy God high and lifted up, seated on the throne. Um, and um, as, as, he's, as he's witnessing this and acknowledging, being able to, to see and acknowledge and understand who God is, uh, verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the door posts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here, woe. In verse 5, woe to me, I cried. What's a woe? Curse. It's a curse. It's not a stopping a horse. We might think it's stopping a horse, but it is a curse. A woe is a curse. And um, throughout Scripture, you remember, you, you see Jesus in the New Testament talking about the religious leaders, scribes, yeah. Pharisees, woe to you, you hypocrites, and so on. He's pronouncing a, a curse on them. This is the only place, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only place in Scripture where an individual pronounces a curse on himself. Woe to me. Woe to me. And, and why is it that he's pronouncing this woe? He is just, he's just seeing God for who he is. He's seeing him in holy. And that's a scary thing um, to, to, to be there because he sees that he's not holy. When we begin to recognize God for who he is, we recognize that he's different. And that puts a, a light on us and saying we don't, uh, in our sinfulness, don't have a right to be here. And here's Isaiah, probably the most holy man in Israel at this time. And he sees God for who he is and his holiness. He says, woe to me. I am ruined. Uh, King James, I am undone. He's falling apart here. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here he is, in, and he, he sees his sinfulness and knows that in his sinfulness he has no right to be in the presence of this holy God like this. And what should happen to any of us coming in our own unrighteousness, we'd be consumed in that. And so thus he, he pronounces this, this curse. He's, he's, he's confessing his sins. Yes, sir. 
Well, could you tell me again where you were? I didn't Isaiah, 6. Isaiah 6. Yes. <clears throat> first, first several verses of Isaiah 6. So Isaiah, when, once he recognizes, um, once he recognizes God in his holiness, he comes to a time of confession. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among people of unclean lips. He's confessing the truth about his sinfulness. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. We see another example of confession and prayer of confession. <clears throat> Daniel's uh, recognizing that the uh, Babylonian captivity is going to last 70 years. He's been reading from Jeremiah. And he goes back to the, uh, uh, the covenant and recognizes that this is part of God's uh, promise in the covenant, uh, that uh, this is part of the covenant curses. If you don't uh, uh, do this, this is going to be your curse. You're going to be uh, taken into captivity. And sure enough, they were. And the Lord says, but it will last only for a certain amount of time. And if you will confess your sins, then release you. And so Daniel, certainly with a covenant mindset here, he comes to the Lord remembering that this, is, this was promised way back in Leviticus that this would happen. If the people behaved a certain way, they behaved that way, they were taken into cap captivity. And so these 70 years having to do with the year of Jubilee and everything, they're going to be set free, but they need to come to the Lord confessing their sins. And so we see in verse 4, Daniel 9, verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed doing he's confessing his sin so we see a prayer confession here oh lord the great and awesome god who keeps covenant of love uh, with all who love him and obey his commandments we have sinned and done wrong first of all he's addressing god who he is right he's the one who keeps his covenant of love uh, with all who obey his commandments but he said we have sinned <laughs> adoration to begin with and then now we have sinned and done wrong we have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from uh, your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all uh, countries, where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Uh, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God and kept, his, uh, kept the laws uh, he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your laws and turned away, refusing to obey you. And uh, he goes on. So what's, it, what's he doing? He's doing a prayer of confession. What he's supposed to do is as part of the uh, covenant restoration, uh, uh, confessing their sins, and God would bring restoration. And certainly we know in the, from the New Testament, 1 John 1, 9. Anybody know that by heart? No. If he's faithful and... Yeah. Just, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Yeah, if we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just and will and forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we, we have the promise of God. First of all, it's in his covenant way back in Leviticus. Daniel's recognizing. So he's praying the prayer of confession. John, uh, again, thinking covenantally, I think, uh, here telling us we, we, we all sin. But if we confess our sins, uh, he will forgive us. And so we're called to confess our sins and uh, recognize them, even as, even as Isaiah did, you know. Uh, Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. We need to recognize our sins and come confessing those to God. Part of, uh, of adoration, recognizing him for who he is, pushes us to this. It sheds a light. We're in his light. It sheds light on us and we recognize our own sinfulness and our need for uh, forgiveness. And so we come confessing our sins. Then a third type of uh, prayer I think it should be a natural result um, that uh, believers would have to knowing what 1 John 1, 9 tells us, that God will forgive us if we confess our sins, that the woe that should be on us would be removed from us. I mean, shouldn't that delight us? So much so that we would be people of such thankful hearts. And... Um, so it, it moves us then to a time from adoration to confession to thanksgiving. We see some of this, I think, in the 109th, excuse me, 107th Psalm. Um, I, I think, especially when we're thinking along these lines, beginning with adoration, moving to confession, and then thanksgiving, it just seems to me that if we truly understand our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness and the knowing that God has done that, it should so much move us to thank, thanking God. The psalmist is doing it here and instructing us to do it here. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foes. Those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. He's talking about he has redeemed us. He has saved us. We were in our sin, lost in our sin, but yet the Lord has redeemed us. We're to give thanks for that, right? He goes on, he talks about different uh, situations in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city <clears throat> where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty. And their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. He satisfies the thirsty and gives the hungry and fills the hungry with good things. And then another situation, and basically it is talking about our, our lostness. He said, Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering. And iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there, were, there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. 
As a result, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. He breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through uh, bars of iron. Again, he begins another situa other situations regarding a man's lostness. Verse 17, some became fools uh, through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word, and he healed them and rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. And he goes on talking about others who are, who are having the same sort of situations. God rescues us from, from our uh, peril our peril of, of our uh, unrighteousness that, that it brings, uh, being objects of his wrath. God has saved us from that by sending his own son to be that wrath-bearing sacrifice for us. And we ought to be like the psalmist here reminds us to give thanks for that. Uh, certainly there are many other things we're thankful for and should be thankful for, but I, I think it's certainly if we're thinking of our prayer in, in this way, beginning with adoration, coming to confession, and knowing that that woe that uh, we might have uh, understood should be on us has been lifted from us because Christ took it, it certainly should move us to thanksgiving, uh, even as the psalmist does here in the 107th Psalm. Moves us to a fourth aspect of prayer that we certainly see in, in our uh, liturgy on Sunday mornings where we, where we move to. Um, and that is the prayer of, of supplication or intercession. Uh, supplication, praying for the needs of others, praying for our needs uh, as well. Offering a request to God. Usually when we think of prayer, that's what we're thinking about, is just asking God for something, right? But this, uh, as, as you see, the, the first three types of prayer that we've talked about here tonight, um, really or not, I guess confession we're asking something, we're asking God to forgive us, but um, um, you know, adoration and thanksgiving are, are not quite like that. So we got these three aspects of prayer that I think maybe we, we're not as mindful of doing as, as we should be doing in our prayers. Uh, maybe we should add more of that into our prayers. But uh, certainly the supplication. We need to be praying uh, for each other and for the needs of each other. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Last chapter of Ephesians. <clears throat> He's been talking about the uh, putting on the full armor of God. Right? <clears throat> and then at the end of that, that passage, uh, talking about putting on the full armor of God in order to go out and to do the battle that we're, it is before us, a spiritual battle. <clears throat> He ends it with uh, verse 18 and 19 here, or 18 through 20, excuse me. And what he tells pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. If we begin praying for all the saints, it's going to be a lengthy prayer, isn't it? And, um, and, it, it, and it should be. And so he's saying, Keep on praying, always. Keep on praying. And this is a prayer of, of supplication, intercession. We're interceding for the needs of others. And we certainly should be. We have that prayer list in our bulletin every Sunday. 
We can take that and, and maybe use that as a guide. But also, it's interesting here, when uh, um, James Montgomery Boyce got cancer, he died at 61. It was just mm -hmm. too young. <laughs> but um, after he uh, it passed away, someone was, I think it's someone in his church was talking about it and said, you know, I never thought about needing to pray for him. Oh my. <laughs> so, you know, he's such a, he's a man that's just so close to God and walks in. You never thought about him needing prayer. Paul needs prayer, right? And so Paul, and if you would think ever anybody that might have thought, I can do it in my own strength, uh, and you might have looked at it and said, they can certainly do it in their own strength. We might have thought Paul, but not, not Paul. He knew better. Verse 19. All right, you're praying for all the saints, he tells them. Now, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will, be, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray for me. Pray for me. Paul saying, pray for me. I need it. And pray uh, about me delivering this, this gospel fearlessly. <laughs> you think uh, that, that, uh, that would seem to be something that he already had, right? But he says, pray that I, I need that. That's what I need. I need you to, to pray that I, that I do it fearlessly, boldly, and make known the mystery of the gospel. Um, pray that I may be clear uh, fearlessly as I should. Um, Paul is telling us that we need to be praying especially for uh, our, our leaders. We need to pray for all the saints, but especially for our leaders. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in regards to our, our prayer and supplications and praying for, we can pray for our own needs too. And I think we see here Paul praying for his own needs. Um, first, second Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing great revelations that were given to me, a thorn, uh, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, away, uh, to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And he goes on and says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Um, two things about this. One is that Paul is praying for his own needs. It seems that the thorn in the flesh was some sort of physical thing. I'm saying it's a thorn in the flesh. That's the reason I'm thinking it was some sort of physical thing. We don't know for certain what it was. Uh, some have speculated, I don't want to speculate tonight about what it was, but it was something that uh, was obvious to Paul and maybe obvious to others who, were, who, who saw him. And it would show a bit of weakness about him. So he asked God to take it away. Um, Paul praying for himself and his own needs, and his own physical needs. That, that's, there's, we should do that. We're sick and ill, uh, or we're... Uh, um, feeling down about something. If we're in trouble, as James said in this morning's passage. When you're in trouble, you ought to pray, right? And we ought to 
as well when we find ourselves in these sorts of situations. If there's a physical issue or an emotional issue, a spiritual issue, we ought to be praying for these things for ourselves. But especially in light of certain types of issues that we may think it would be so much better, Lord, if you would take it away. What's God, what does God do for Paul here when he prays three times about it? No? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, right. So even with this, my grace is sufficient for you. So God says no. Well, we ought to be willing to accept that too. That's hard sometimes. So often you, you hear people um, saying, uh, I prayed about this thing and God didn't answer me, right? So God doesn't hear, doesn't listen. I'm mad at God. I'm going to leave him. No, no, he just said no. Right. Yeah, he, just said no. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> he just said no. Instead, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, right? Are, are, you, are you willing to be satisfied with his grace that he's giving you? So we, we ought to, in our prayers, not demand that God answer them as we see fit, but rather say, even as Jesus, you know, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. And the, we ought to be able, in our supplication, in praying and supplication, to understand that. Okay, just kind of an easy way to uh, maybe um, order your prayers, if you want to think of it this way, because it's, it's an acronym, right? Mm-hmm. A-C-T-S. Oh, yeah. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And kind of maybe outline your prayers that way. And, you know, it's, it's actually a good thing, I think, especially in adoration, to find the psalms where they're doing that and, and read that psalm out loud as your prayer. That's not bad. That's a good thing. And we're learning as we go along and recognizing who it is that we're addressing in this prayer. So hopefully uh, as, as you uh, work on this uh, some this week, um, maybe you will find that uh, this will uh, enhance your prayer life. We as Christians uh, need to always be uh, praying as we were encouraged uh, from the book of James chapter 5 this morning. Let me pray.